Well, good morning, church. Happy fall. If you haven't noticed, the temperatures are falling, the leaves are falling, right? And happy Hispanic Heritage Month to you. You know, this is a time in the year that we take a moment to celebrate the contributions of our Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ and in the world. And so, so grateful for you. You know, I want to take a moment to welcome our campuses in New Milford and Waterbury and Derby and online. My name is Adam DePasquale. If you're new or visiting, I just want to welcome you and say we're so excited that you're with us today. You know, church, it's hard to believe that we're on week three of our new annual theme, Arise and Shine. I tell you, it's been so exciting to see all of your enthusiasm. And I want to tell you that Craig and I are just so excited and so expectant for what God's going to do in us this year. You know, this year we're looking at this prophetic calling upon God's people to embrace his love and reflect his glory. You know, and we're walking alongside the early church in the book of Acts because we want to see what does this look like and what can we learn from them. You know, I pray that the Lord is already speaking to you through our book of Acts reading plan that we're doing every day together. And uh, maybe you haven't started yet. Maybe you're already behind. No problem. You can go to walnuthillcc.org backslash resources, download our daily reading guide, or stop by your campus table and pick up our journal. Uh, but this is something that we want to be doing together. You know, as we talk about Arise and Shine, and we see the very real darkness around us, and we dream of shining brighter than ever before, we have to recognize that the arising is an essential part of the shining. This is what I mean. There are things that God wants to do in us so that he can shine through us. Let me give you some examples. He wants us to learn how to receive his love. He wants us to learn to rest in his presence. He wants us to learn how to be renewed and restored and transformed, how to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to learn a true posture of surrender, of dependence, of humility. The Lord wants us to embrace ways of doing life that will actually facilitate an ongoing connection with the Lord of Lords, ways of doing life that will actually facilitate relationship with the creator of the universe. Why is that? Because it's the Lord who wants to shine through us. And that only happens in relationship. You know, as we continue on the journey today, we're looking at our primary text of Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Some of you might be thinking, wait, didn't we study that last week? Anyone thinking that? Anyone catch that? Yes, that's what we uh, studied last week. You know, there's a Latin proverb that says, repetition is the mother of learning. I like that. Actually, there's a story of a pastor who used to preach the same message week after week after week after week until he felt like the congregation not only heard what he was saying, but it actually began to practice what the Lord was wanting to say to them. Now listen, we're not going to go through Acts chapter 2 every week for a whole year, uh, but there are some things today that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart that I want to share with you. You know, as an introduction to our sermon today, I want to start by giving you a little update on the Deepa Squall family. About a month ago, Carrie and I dropped our oldest son, Elias, off at Gordon College. You know, it is so hard to believe how fast almost 19 years have gone by. He's doing really well and he's loving school. But as some of you may have experienced, the drop-off as parents was much harder than I anticipated. You know, you plan for that moment, but wow, it snuck up on me. About 30 minutes before I knew we would be saying goodbye to Elias, I began to think about what I would want to say to him in those final moments. I thought about how I wanted to say, I'm so proud of you. This is a great place for you. You're ready for this. 
And then my mind shifted, and I knew I wanted to say this to him. I will miss you. And I tell you, as soon as that thought came to my mind, this force of emotion that I didn't know existed flooded my body, and this strange liquid appeared under my eye. And as my family was around me, at least one or two of them began to laugh at me. Can you believe that? You have to love family. But you know, uh, transitions can be really difficult, can't they? Transitions in family, transitions at work, transitions in the church, right? But they're part of life. And as we turn to the Lord, sometimes day by day, moment by moment, second by second, we can trust him. And we can trust that he's going to bring forth opportunity and freshness and sometimes new things that he wants to do in our lives, right? So I want to encourage you to just pray and trust the Lord for all he's doing right now in your life, in your family, and in his church. Amen? Amen. So obviously you can see that family is on my heart in this season and possibly some reminiscing. And uh, since you're a captive audience today, um, I thought I would teach a little bit today from my own family's journey. And I really pray that the Lord will teach us and speak to us through that. In 2013, 10 years ago, Carrie and I were parents of an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And we were at that point in our parenting where it was quickly shifting from make sure they're safe and fed to make sure you're investing in the building of their character and their spiritual lives. Maybe you're walking through that transition right now. You know, as we sought the Lord about our parenting, we really felt the Lord was inviting us to seek him for a vision for our family and for our life. It's, it felt like a godly burden. Have you ever had a godly burden before? And so I probably did what most of you would do. I prayed. And then I began to Google. Isn't that what we do these days? I think I Googled, how do you write a family mission statement for your family? And I probably added Bible and Christian just to be safe. But I tell you, by the grace of God, I found a ministry called Family ID Ministries. And Carrie and I prayed. We began to work their program. And man, praise God, sure enough, a set of family values that were unique to us emerged, as well as a deep Pasquale mission statement. I want to share with you the values that we identified, which we've been working to instill in our kids for 10 years. They are faith, love, laughter, teamwork, stewardship, and gratitude. Now, certainly these are not the only values we talk about in our home, but as Carrie and I imagined ourselves at 80 years old by the grace of God, with our children gathered with us, and maybe their children if they had them, these were the values that we prayed and dreamed would be present amongst our family reunion. But you know, in addition to those values, this is the mission statement that emerged as the deepest Squall mission statement. Building a lighthouse that radiates God's love for generations yet to set sail. So in other words, as a family, as parents, we're building a lighthouse, we're building our family that would radiate God's love for generations yet to set sail. In other words, this wasn't just for our family. We were dreaming of this for our generations to come, future deepest squalls. Now, I know you're probably laughing at me because if you know me and you've been to my office, you know there are thousands of paintings of oceans around my office, and the desktop on my laptop is an ocean. But even in the midst of that, Carrie and I felt the Lord speaking to us through this mission, and we began to teach it to our kids and show these values to them. I can still remember bringing the family to the Sandy Hook Lighthouse in New Jersey on October 31st, 2013, where we shared this deep Pasquale vision with them. And let's just say at that age, they didn't grasp it the way I thought they would. Take a look at this home video. Brendan, what do you think of the lighthouse? Yeah, yeah but what do you think about it? 
I, th I think I was trying to be way too profound for a six-year-old at that time. But you know, over the years, we've visited a lot of lighthouses together. We've had some great conversations about life, and not always serious ones, but they've been really, really rich times together. You know, so back in 2014, Carrie and I commissioned a longtime friend of ours, Bryn Gillette, to paint our family mission statement so that we could hang it in our home and have it to look at every day as a reminder. The painting is here, but before I unveil it, I just felt really led to make a comment about the arts really quickly. You know, the arts are so powerful in our world and in the kingdom of God. What the Lord can say through a work of art or an expression of art can cut through all the noise in our lives and just hit our heart or hit our mind. And so I just wanted to pause and say, if you're an artist here today, maybe you're a visual artist or a musician or a spoken word or dance or drama, man, keep practicing, right? Keep honing your art. Keep developing your voice. Keep sharing your work because the Lord is birthing something in you that needs to be shared. Amen? We need more Christian artists today. So before I unveil this painting, I want to brace you because some of you may be expecting this very peaceful painting of a lighthouse. But those of you know who Bryn, you know that he often sees into the heavens and paints these like epic battle scenes. So across all of our campuses, I'd like you to give me a drum roll for the unveiling. All right, here we go. All right, here it is. This is an epic painting. <laughs> and you know, during the creation of the painting, Bryn would send us sketches. But I tell you, when it finally got delivered to our house, I was overwhelmed by the darkness. You know, I realized that the mission statement that the Lord had given us as a family was really the mission statement of the Lord's church. This is like a multi-generational expression of a rise and shine. Darkness covers the earth. But the Lord, right? But the Lord. And so I want to take a few minutes today and share with you some kingdom principles that I think are applicable to us as a church that we can see in Bryn's painting. The first thing I want to point out to you is the lighthouse. You can see that right here. We've been talking about that now for weeks. I'll remind you. Matthew 5, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, you hear those words, that they may see your good deeds. What does that mean? I want to say this to you. These are deeds that are prompted out of love for God. These are deeds that are prompted out of love for others. These are not obligatory religious deeds. Out of God's love... He leads us to action. From God's love, we are led to obedience, and that is when we shine. So a lighthouse is really a giant lampstand. You know, one official estimate says that the beam of light from a lighthouse can be seen 24 nautical miles away. That's 28 miles. 28 miles. That's pretty far, right? I want to give you just an illustration of what this might look like. Our new Milford campus is 14 miles away from where I'm standing right here. That feels far, right? But if the new Milford campus was a lighthouse, we could see it from here. And new Milford campus, you are a lighthouse. You are shining bright for Jesus. You know, across all of our campuses, can we give a cheer for new Milford? Amen. 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 And you know, our, 
Derby campus is 21 miles away from where I'm standing. If the Derby campus was a lighthouse, we could see it from here. And Derby campus, you are a lighthouse. You are shining so bright for the Lord. Let's give a cheer for Derby campus. Amen. Our Waterbury campus is 24 miles away from where I'm standing, right on the edge, right? If the Waterbury campus were a lighthouse, we could still see it from here. And Waterbury campus, you are a lighthouse. You are shining bright for the Lord. Let's give a cheer. And Bethel campus, you are a lighthouse. Let's cheer for each other. See if you can hear another campus. <laughs> and wherever you're tuning in today, wherever you are tuning in from, you are a lighthouse shining bright for the Lord. Don't stop. But I want to share with you something exciting. You know, for more than a year, we've been partnering with Greenwoods Community Church and Ashley Fall Mass as they prepare to replant. They're actually going to get up and move about 20 minutes right into the heart of Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and start something completely new. If you're familiar with Great Barrington, this is a community that does not have any strong Christ-centered churches that are seeking to reach its community. Great Barrington is 64 miles away from here. Man, I am so glad that the Greenwoods congregation is standing strong as a lighthouse. And right now, this morning, they're streaming live us here today. So can we give them a cheer for shining bright for the Lord? Amen. Amen. And church, I want to invite you to pray for Greenwoods. Pray for us. We're partnering with Valley Community Bible Baptist Church and Converge Northeast to find a church planner who will go up and move to Great Barrington and help start this great work. So please, please be in prayer for them. You know, I want to just say one more thing about that. It's not easy to walk alone as a group of 15 Christ followers in the Brookshires. And um, man, I'm so proud of those guys. They have stuck through it and they're living for Jesus and uh, they need our prayers. So I just want to ask you again to, to pray for them. Um, that was not on my notes, but uh, it's heartfelt. You know, um, if you look closely at the beam of light coming from this lighthouse, you can see a Hebrews chapter 12 cloud of witnesses that are appearing here. These are family members who have gone on to be with the Lord, and they are cheering us on. They are calling us to persevere. They are calling us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, because the only way we shine is if we stay connected to the heart of Jesus. I love that. The next thing I want to point out to you are these rescue ships that you can see out in the water. You know, these are deepest squalls that are out rescuing lost and endangered ships. Many mornings I'll say to my kids as they get ready for school, let your light shine as they leave the house. Because as they walk out of the home, it's as if they're getting into a boat and heading off into the storm, into the dangerous waters. We're gonna, they're going to live out the mission that God has for them that day. And you know, this is the calling upon the Lord's church to be those who bring his love and light into dangerous waters where we risk our lives for the sake of others. You know, as a friend of ours, Charles Galda likes to say, he's a former elder. He's also now the president of Vision New England. He loves to say this, as Christ followers, we disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others. I like that. That's the call upon the church. Now listen, I could easily get distracted and tell you the significance behind this constellation or behind this B-52 bomber or behind uh, this whale or point out to you this railroad over here or this church, which represents our call into New England. 
but I'm not going to get distracted by that right now. <laughs> I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about something critically important, and it's what's taking place back here at the homestead, back at home base. You see, the grounds of the lighthouse represent our home, and it can also represent the church. Let me tell you about it. You see, here outside the lighthouse, you'll see an extended Deep Pasquale family having dinner together, talking about fun things and meaningful things. You'll see a musician here and people dancing. This is both having fun dancing and worship taking place. Over here, someone's playing with a dog. Down here, there's a child that's being disciplined. I guess that has to happen sometimes. Over here, there's people who are getting dinner ready for the meal. There's folks playing baseball, and there's people gardening. On top of the lighthouse, there are two individuals and I always see that as myself with one of my children, telling them about the kingdom of God, telling them about the eternity and all that they are called to. You see, this is family. <laughs> this, these are the everyday aspects of life in which love is expressed, in which our values are passed down and seen. And this is the same as the church. We're a community of believers that commit to do life together. We're united in Christ and together we experience his beauty. We get a glimpse of heaven on earth. This is a place where everyone is welcome, where forgiveness and reconciliation take place, where laughter, joy, and peace is experienced even in the midst of pain and suffering and uncertainty. This is the Lord's church. You know, there's a beautiful word in Acts chapter 2 that some of us heard about last week. We see it in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Stop there. The original Greek word there for fellowship is koinonia. This is an amazing word that we could spend months and months studying. Yes, it means close relationships, it means sharing, but koinonia also describes being in close relationship with each other and God at the same time. And because of that, it's like heavenly fellowship. When we gather in the name of Jesus, we're not just alone with each other's presence. We are in the presence of Almighty God. We are in Christ. And because of that, there is nothing like it on earth. You see, God becomes an active participant in our teaching, an active participant in our sharing, in all of our comforting, in all of our encouragement, even in the correction that takes place. If we gather with the right heart and an openness to God and an openness to one another, we should experience koinonia every time we gather, every Sunday, in every group that you're part of, every time you have lunch or breakfast with somebody, koinonia changes everything. And in God's presence, we are united. I want you to notice this fence around the painting with this gate that's out front. You know, this plays a dual role. In one sense, the fence is about safety. It keeps young children from running into the ocean. It keeps animals far away. But guests are always welcome. They can go through the entrance. And you know, as a church... We do the same thing. We're called to protect the flock, but we're also called to open the door wide for all those who want to pursue and meet Jesus. You'll notice a number of family members over here helping to build boats. This is the act of discipleship that takes place as mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, uncles and aunts, and spiritual family members invest in the next generation, and they prepare them for the great calling upon their lives. We do this as the body of Christ too, don't we? And then I want to point out to you perhaps the most important part of the painting. It's this inlet right here. Some would call this a safe harbor. Do you know what a safe harbor is? It's a place of safety for ships during wartime or storms. 
It's a place that offers refuge and protection. You know, over the summer, I had the opportunity to vacation with my family in an inlet of the Chesapeake Bay. Within a mile or two, we could have been out into the open waters of the Atlantic Ocean. But here in the safe harbor, the water was still. The water was safe. It was beautiful. Do you know what? Our homes should be safe harbors. Places of safety and refuge. Shouldn't they? And the Lord's church should be a safe harbor. A place of safety and refuge for all. You see, the church, the community of Christ followers, by definition, should be a safe place where we come and worship Jesus. Where we love each other. Where we encourage each other. Where we receive from God and offer healing and comfort to others. As well as equipping for life. You see, Christian community should be an arising environment, a place where we are regularly refilled and refreshed. But here's the thing. We need to protect the safe harbor. And that is why there is no place for gossip in our homes or in the Lord's church. There's no place for talking badly about others. There's no place for harboring unforgiveness. There's no place for lying or stealing or greed or sexual immorality, or hate within the body of Christ. You see, when we do those things, it's as if we're disregarding the Lord's holiness. It's as if we're taking for granted the Lord's great sacrifice. It's like we're mocking him. It's like we become one of the soldiers at the foot of the cross, or we become the arrogant thief next to Jesus, saying things he had no idea about. And what's the consequence when we do these things? You see, not only does it impact our lives, and it does, we'll talk about that another time, but when we sin, let's call it what it is, when we sin, we make the Lord's church unsafe, and it is no longer a safe harbor. Our community becomes no different than the world. We threaten the very calling of the church when we sin. You see, your sin and my sin, it has a devastating impact on the community of believers and our witness. A church that arises protects the safe harbor. And by God's grace, it starts with each one of us looking in the mirror with humility every day. The church and our homes need to be a safe harbor, a sanctuary of the Lord's presence, a place where the kingdom of God is experienced, practiced, and lived out. I want to say that again. Our homes and the Lord's church should be a place where the kingdom of God is experienced, practiced, and lived out. Listen, we're not perfect. Wow, we're far from it, right? But we're seeing transformation take place in our lives. We're seeing freedom being found in our lives. We're becoming more like Jesus every day. And that honors the Lord. I want to see transformation in my life. Do you want to see it in yours? You see, lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes the safe harbor so exciting. And it's what makes the safe harbor so attractive to the world. But from the safe harbor, we are sent back out into the choppy waters, into the storm, into the darkness where we are called to shine. Where we're called to rescue people aboard broken and battered ships and then welcome them back to safety. You know, every day, Carrie and I send our kids out into the world. But at the end of the day, we welcome them back into the safe harbor. And that's what happens here as church. We gather every Sunday. We gather throughout the week where we bless each other. We encourage each other in the safe harbor. But then we send each other back out into the world to shine. You see, the church is both a safe harbor 
and a mission sending center. It has to be both. Do you see that? And our home is both a safe harbor and a mission sending center. It's powerful stuff, right? So here's the question for you. How do we foster a safe harbor? How do we protect a safe harbor? How do we build a mission sending center? Relationships. You see, relationships are the central theme to this painting. In the Lord's church, the kingdom of God, arising and shining, is first and foremost about relationships. Relationships with God, absolutely. And relationships with each other. Now listen, I'm about to go deeper, but before I do, I want you to take a breath, turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about relationships. It is. It's all about relationships. I want to try to convince you of it. Consider this. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in an eternal relationship. The Trinity is a mystery. God is one in three persons. I can't wait to better understand that one day when I'm with the Lord. But the foundation of our faith, the one in whom we worship, exists in relationship. Therefore, it should be no surprise that in the book of Genesis chapter 2, we see that God immediately saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so in Eve, he made a partner and an ally. And thus began the human relationship. And so throughout the Old Testament, we read all kinds of verses like Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Relationships. Or Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You see, relationships are not only good, they are essential in the kingdom of God. They're essential to arising and shining. They are at the foundation. Listen, for those of you computer-oriented people, Relationships are like the operating system of the kingdom of God. I like that. That was for me, I think. You know, fast forward to Jesus. Guess what? In his ministry, we see that it is all about relationships. Jesus spoke to the crowds, yeah. But so much of his time, he was with his 12 disciples or with his inner core, Peter, James, and John, or ministering to people one-on-one. In Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to minister Wow, ministry is done in relationships. And so guess what? Surprise, in the book of Acts, the early church followed Jesus' example and they were all about relationships. In the book of Acts, we see house churches. We see ministry taking place in pairs. We see small leadership teams being formed to deal with critical issues in the life of the church. We see Barnabas investing in Paul, Paul investing in Timothy, parents and grandparents pouring into the lives of their children, Churches from one town investing in churches from another town. And the list goes on and on. You know, as you read the book of Acts each week, I want you to put on the lens of relationships and see what you're going to discover. It's going to blow you away. Because relationships are at the heart of the kingdom of God. Relationships are the operating system of God's kingdom. God is about relationships, and we should be too. A church that arises prioritizes relationships. So how do we foster a safe harbor? How do we build a mission sending center? Intentional relationships. We make intentional investments in each other's lives. Some call this discipleship. 
You see, within the safe harbor, we commit to equip, raise up, and invest in one another so that we truly know our identities as sons and daughters of a living God. So that we are people who don't just know what we believe or what we value, but we actually live it out from an intimate relationship with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we become ambassadors of Christ. Those who are empowered and trusted to represent the name of Jesus in every corner of the earth, in every school, in every workplace, in every neighborhood, in every prison, in every ministry opportunity on the earth, we are called to represent Jesus. Is that a big enough vision for you? You know, in Matthew 28, Jesus himself said, go and make disciples of every nation. Is that a big enough vision? You know, each one of us should be becoming more like Jesus every day and helping others do the same. You know, in the next few minutes, I want to challenge you to arise. I want to challenge you to prepare to shine by making an intentional decision today to surround yourself in community where you will invest in others. You know, a few years back, we introduced a relational discipleship model called Crews. And the crew model could be visualized as a cross. And you picture yourself in the center of the cross because you have been crucified with Christ. If you've been around the church for a while, the piece that we've talked to the most about is this horizontal beam, and we've called that Crews. The idea is that each one of us should have intentional relationships with three to five others of the same gender where we meet together on a regular basis and we encourage each other in the Lord and in life. Now listen, we don't want to get legalistic about this, right? Some of you are involved in groups and you're involved in ministries, and that is fantastic. But within those groups, or perhaps through other relationships you have, we want to encourage you to have consistent, transparent, intentional relationships with a smaller group of people. In other words, don't get lost in the crowd. Develop life-giving friendships. You know, by the grace of God, I am blessed by a few different crew relationships in my life. In 2005, myself, Bryn Gillette, who painted this painting, and A.J. Picard, who's a member of this church, an extraordinary artist, we were inspired and challenged by a man named Alex Buchanan. Some of you may remember Alex. Alex inspired us to become men of the word, men of holiness, and men of the spirit. You know, the three of us were so compelled by this vision that we have met nearly weekly for at least 18 years to spur each other on in the Lord. We used to meet in person, now we talk on the phone because Bryn moved away. To say that they are a lifeline to me would be an understatement. We're constantly encouraging each other by what we're reading in scripture. We share deeply with each other and encourage each other in our pursuit of living holy lives that honor the Lord. We challenge the Lord, we challenge each other to give the Lord our best and our all and to fulfill the great calling as husbands and fathers and friends and ambassadors of Christ. I am who I am today because of them. I'm also blessed by another crew of four guys. We meet on a monthly basis, we laugh, we have fun, we encourage each other. Honestly, they keep a smile on my face and they watch my life closely. I'm also blessed to be part of a group of five men. I'm in my 40s. One of them is in their 50s, one in the 60s, one in their 70s, and one in their 80s. We are a multi-generational group of men. We couldn't be more different than each other. But when we meet each month for lunch, man, the Lord shows up every time. I'm so grateful for my relationship with Pastor Craig, and I'm forever grateful for my wife, Carrie. 
She's my best friend. She's my life partner. She's my lover. And we bless each other to surround ourselves with intentional life-giving relationships. Our marriage is better because of it. I am who I am because of the people in my life. How do you start a crew? What do you talk about? You know, today you can go to our website, mycrewkit.org, and you can find all kinds of resources on how to start a crew. Or you can go out to the table in your campus and find all kinds of resources. But here is the idea. Be real with each other and share life together. You know, there's another essential piece to the cross in the crew model. It's the vertical beam. These are relationships where we invest in others and others invest in us. Some people might call this beam mentorship, but sometimes the formality of that word scares people. Here's the concept. Imagine yourself in the center of the cross. You are crucified with Christ. Each of us should have people in our life that we can look up to for wisdom and advice. You know, most often these are people who have followed Jesus longer than you have or perhaps lived life longer than you have or maybe they're just people that you deeply respect. You know, in some cases you might have asked this person to be your mentor, but in other cases it might just be that you find yourself picking up the phone often and saying, hey, can we have lunch again? I've got some issues I need to talk to you about. You know, in my life I've been blessed by my mother and my father. As a kid I was blessed by my youth pastors, Doug Dry and Suhi Tan by Pastor Clive Calver, Pastor Jan Nell, Peter Pfeiffer, Pastor Gordon McDonald, and many others. And you know, in my lifetime, outside of my parents, most of these people are folks that I actually invited to speak into my life. I promise you that the investment they make in my life has saved me from more than one shipwreck, truly. Then there are the people that you invest in. You can imagine these folks at the foot of the cross. These are folks that you get down on your knees and you wash their feet. If you have children, by default, your greatest investment should be in their lives. And you don't need lighthouse paintings to do it. But you do have to be intentional.